This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Hey there, welcome to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. I'm Dean Holland, joined by the goddess of the garden, Charlie Dobbin. How are you this morning, Charlie? I'm very well, my dancing duet. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. We're, you know, we're doing we're doing the rain dance, right? No question. Yeah. I am I'm just on it. I think I'll be doing it all day today. Mm. Uh, we are we do have rain in our forecast, but last week we had rain in our forecast and it rained all around us. The thunder was crashing, the skies were dark blue and black, but it was nice and sunny here the whole time. That is very, very frustrating because especially <laughs> you down in Prince Edward, Prince Edward County have not had even the rain that we have had up here in yeah. southern Georgian Bay. We had a really, really good dumping of it about a week ago, right. um, which, you know, you, it kind of topped things up. But yours, your area really, really needs it. Really, and we're not the only part of Ontario. As far as I understand, southwest Ontario is also struggling down uh, Kent, um, yeah, Chatham area. They've got some serious drought stuff going on down there too. So, yeah, well, we're all rain dancing, but uh, and hoping that the forecast is correct for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, well, I took, I did take some of your uh, your tips last week because, of course, you never know when the rain is going to just stop coming for a while. So, I have actually been taking my water out of my dehumidifiers and adding it to my rain barrel water just oh, good to keep, idea. keep it topped up. Yeah. 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 Good idea. So, um, I'm, listen, I'm going to give out those numbers. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you probably, you might have some announcements to make, but... Uh, I have one. Cool. Okay, so uh, we'd love for you to give us a call with any questions about gardening inside or out. Um, and the numbers in Toronto are 416-360-0740 or anywhere else in the province. It's a toll-free number, and it's one 866 740 And please do let Carlos know if you are a first-time caller, and we will give you your garden wings, and we want you to call often. We want you to call early, and one question per call, please. Going to say that again? One question per call, <laughs> please. <laughs> okay? I should have another. And in addition to the garden wings, I should have one of those alarm buzzers that, you know, yeah, just right. if they ask the second question, bam, there we are. <laughs> yeah, so you well, have an announcement? I, well, I just wanted to remind people, yeah. it is August 20th, which means that autumn is just around the corner. And what do we do in autumn? But we get out, we start planting things like garlic and some flower bulbs for next spring. Some of those beautiful tulips and daffodils, things that we love to see in the spring. And it's just so important that we get them in the ground in the fall. So I want to remind people, a good friend of mine runs um, a bulb importing company. So she imports from Holland and and from the Netherlands, and she's based in Mississauga. But you can buy online through her website, uh, one, one of her websites, her retail website. Very simple, flower bulbs are us, just like toys are us with the letter R. So flowerbulbsareus.com. 
or give them a call at 1-888-890-0936 because for the next two weeks, there is a 10% off uh, what is coming in or, yes, she pre-orders all this stuff. So at this point, she is, um, you can't order something that's not coming in, but it is 10% off on what has already been ordered to come in. And the bulbs will be delivered to you around about late September, another month or so. But uh, I'm very excited. I always have a big order. Fabulous. Okay. Uh, We have callers on the line, but we have to take our first break. So we will be right back with much more right here on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, we are back on The Garden Show. I'm Dean Holland here with Charlie Dobbin. And Charlie, I am thrilled to see that folks are paying attention to the mantra and they are calling early. (laughs) We are going to go right to a caller now. We have uh, Earl on the line from Oakville. Welcome to The Garden Show, Earl. Uh, Hi, Charlie. Hi, Dean. I have a silly question for Charlie. I'm an experienced landscaper, a part-time landscaper, and I have a problem differentiating between weeds and plants. What's the easiest way to differentiate between a weed and a plant, Charlie? (laughs) Well, of course, (laughs) there is no difference. A weed is a plant. Uh, yeah, I, one person's weed is another person's favorite plant. Oh, so okay, okay. there's no rules on that, right? Some people dig up dandelions and some people harvest dandelions. It's yeah. just, uh, it's so when you're working for a client, I find usually the best thing is to go through their yard with them and identify with them what are their chosen plants and what plants they want removed. Because it's horrible when you pull up somebody's favorite yeah, plant because you yeah, thought it was a weed. It happened to me. I pulled out plants that I thought were weeds and I, I had to replant them. Yeah, you're not the first. I've, I've known many, particularly <laughs> amateur really... landscapers do that. Yeah, take care. You too. Thanks for calling. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks, Earl. That That is a tricky one. And as you say, one man's weed is another one's plant. I remember being astonished going down to Florida years ago to see my dad. And in somebody's garden, they had planted the Queen Anne's Lace. And I thought, oh, my goodness, wow. we see that on the side of the highways everywhere here. That's right. That's right. It's a, Yeah, it's amazing. The things that grow by the side of the highway that are, you know, actually, to my mind, one of the interesting things is when you should look at where what is thriving at the side of the highway because that tells you what conditions it wants, which it's just making me flash on raspberries, which we'll talk about later, I think, because mm-hmm. we had a question. But a lot of times people have struggle with raspberries. So just think about where you see them growing wild. Those are the conditions you want to give them in your home garden. Gotcha. Okay, let's go to Richmond Hill now. We have uh, Gabriella on the line. Uh, good morning and welcome to the Garden Show, Gabriella. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Dane. I have a question. In the back of my garden, I have all those kind of nice flowers. Somebody told me they call Black High Susan. They're so uh-huh. beautiful, nice yellow patch. I see all kind of the bugs flying around. And now they mm. want me to cut it down. Some people want me to cut it down. Uh, who are the somebody, the neighbors? Well, somebody doesn't like it. And uh, it's been there for many years, you know, when the flowers end, and then I cut sure. it down normally. But for three, four years, I have them every year in the same spot, nice, beautiful right. patch, you know. 
I believe uh, I want to feed the, the animal, the birds, the, uh, the butterflies, the bees, all kinds, because I see them flying around. Of course. They're, no, they're great plants that support lots of wildlife. So, no, I, I don't quite understand why somebody would want you to cut them down. They are a perennial. They come up every spring. They disappear for the winter. Um, there are different kinds of black-eyed Susan in the sense that there's the native type, very furry, narrow leaves versus the cultivated variety, um, which we tend to buy at the garden center or somebody gives us a piece of this plant and they grow with a much wider leaf, less fur on the actual leaves. All of them, though, very, very cheerful plants. Brown center, you know, spiny, central, daisy-type plant and huge, huge supporters of pollinators. So I would not be overly concerned about somebody wanting you to cut them down. I mean, they will spread seeds and it could be that people are believing that there's becoming invasive so i guess you know the main thing is just keep an eye on them as the flowers start to fade clip the flowers off and they're less likely to send seeds all over the neighborhood well you know it stays in the corner there are flowers elsewhere because we have a big property where i am but for somehow maybe they don't like flowers at all because i have all (laughs) kinds of flowers on my property and the flowers is my life i should say and that's I let the seeds grow for the for the birds, you know, like salad seeds when they they come out, and you see those wild uh, um, birds, you know, like canary. They're so beautiful, and I never see so many fly, uh, birds around, the animal around. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't know and, why and somebody really wouldn't like me flowers. Because, you know, I, I think those people need to just stay inside, go down to the basement, and be quiet. Well, I wish <laughs> I wish my dream come true. You know, but it's not happening, not happening. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that. Thanks for the the call there, Gabriella. You do want to support pollinators. I mean, butterflies are at risk. We've got all kinds of different little insects that are struggling to stay alive, and we need the insects in order to have the fruits and vegetables that we love so much. Right. Uh, okay. Let's take uh, let's take our next break, and then. Uh, but before that, I'm going to give those numbers out again. We do have some lines open, and the number in Toronto is four one six three six zero zero seven four zero, or anywhere else in the province of Ontario. Toll free one eight six six. 740-4740. Please do give us a call. We would love to uh, fire your question at Charlie, and we will be right back with much more right here on the Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, indeed. This is The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. I'm Dean Holland. And uh, Charlie, I've got uh, two Elizabeths on the line. We're going to go to the first one, who is from Toronto. Good morning, Elizabeth. Welcome to The Garden Show. Good morning. And uh, I uh, conserve water very well in any form. I just wondered if this form was a good idea for the garden. Um, When you're doing a wash and it's the rinse cycle, can that rinse water that is out of the tub be saved and put into a garden? And if so, what plants would benefit by that? Well, that's a great question, um, Elizabeth. The Almost any plant uh, that is suffering from lack of water is going to benefit from water. 
two things. Make sure the water's not hot so that if you do your wash or your rinse with hot water, make sure you bring it to room temperature before you take it outside or not put it on people, any plants. Not many people use hot water in washing these days. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. We're all cold water people now. Um, all right. So make sure it's room temperature. And um, yeah, I think it's a wonderful idea. The, the rinse water will have some detergent in it. So what I would do is I would try and avoid putting that rinse water on the same plant every single time. I would try and disperse that water around the yard to different plants, whether it's it could be edible plants like some tomatoes or carrots. It also could be shrubs. It could be perennial flowers. It could be trees. But the bigger the plant, the deeper you want to water it. So just remember as well, we, we can do fairly light watering, you know, um, not too he- too much water, say, on our on our carrots. And yet with a tree, you've got a really deep water, particularly the older the tree is, the deeper and slower we like to add the moisture. So just work it out in terms of what it is that you're wanting to water and, and water appropriately. But absolutely, yes, great idea. Definitely use it. Thank you very much. Yeah, okay. appreciate that. Uh, appreciate that question, Elizabeth. Great question. Again, again, in this uh, era of well, not era, but this summer where it's a dry summer, we and we all need to uh, use our water, you know, as wisely as possible. For sure. I mean, I, I I know a number of people that are taking pail, empty pails into the shower with them, so that that when they're in the shower, <clears throat> the water that's over splashing off of them gets dropped into the pail, and then they can take it yeah. outside. That, that one's very clever. I had never thought of that. Okay, <laughs> let's go to Scarborough. We have our next Elizabeth on the line. Good morning. Welcome to the Garden Show, Elizabeth. Oh, good morning. Uh, my question is about raspberries, and, and uh, at the beginning you mentioned you were going to talk about them, so maybe you'll answer my question. It's about pruning the old canes and cutting the tops off new growth and, and all that. So is this going to be covered, or should can uh, you answer this question? Sure. What I'll do is I'd like to answer your question. And while I'm doing that, it's going to answer an email question from Elaine Newport, who okay. sent virtually the same question. However, I need I don't have all the information from her that I can get from you. So, for example, the raspberries you're growing, are they what we call ever bearing raspberries or do they just bloom in the spring and give fruit in the early summer? Uh, I well, it was July. They were really quite uh, uh, proliferant, and I okay. enjoyed them immensely. But it was just July. There's nothing now on them. Right. So that's what we call normal, <coughs> normal raspberries <clears throat> versus the everbearing. Everbearing okay. raspberries will give you two sets of crop. One oh. in. June or July and one later in September. Okay. So um, so that's why we do treat them a little bit differently. So I will suggest to you that if you have access to the internet, there is a wonderful fact sheet uh, on the OMAFRA website. So OMAFRA stands for the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. So OMAFRA and the fact sheet number is 237 slash 12. So 237 slash 12. So bottom line is with your raspberries, you've enjoyed the fruit and, and that's lovely. They will not fruit again. Once those canes have borne fruit, they will start to shrivel up and die. So your job is to cut out those canes, the ones that bore fruit, destroy them. Um, they can be, um, they can carry insects and diseases. So generally, we will uh, either remove them from the property or burn them in the fire pit. One way or the other, cut down any of the canes that have fruited, destroy so those, those are like canes. The, wooden, the, 
they they sort of get woody looking, and yep. they're brittle. Okay. Yep. That's them. Yep. Okay. So you, so you need cut to them either off crawl, the ground. cut cut them off at ground level. Yes. <clears throat> or just above ground level. Okay. And collect them and get rid of them, right. um, and then sit back, do nothing until next spring. Yes. Next spring. When new growth starts to emerge, you'll get from the root, you'll start getting more canes coming up at, literally like suckers. Uh, or you may still have some canes left behind that you didn't cut down because they haven't borne fruit yet. So you're only taking out the woody, the old ones, uh, and you're leaving behind anything that's young and supple. So next spring, you're going to remove anything that's really weak. Any of the canes that not so much small, but bent or broken. You'll also check the tips. Sometimes after the winter, some of the tips will have died back. You'll cut off anything dead. You'll remove anything weak. Uh, and bottom line is you want your raspberry patch to grow in such a way that you can get at the raspberries. The problem with, with raspberries is they tend to <laughs> they tend to make up their own design when it comes to growing. Uh, we might plant them all in a nice, neat little row. But, of course, because of the way they grow, we have to cut out the, the old and new has to come up. The rows are, are quickly lost. So try, try, try. Try to have your, your rows of raspberries two to two and a half meters apart. Try to keep the plants 60 centimeters roughly apart. Um, do not over fertilize or even use I wouldn't use fertilizer at all I would get a hold of some composted manure and it's all about organic matter the more organic matter that you can get around your raspberries in the spring or fall the better your crop will be and the stronger your plants will be um, obviously full sun well-drained soil so I mean if they're growing well now the biggest issue is just you know encouraging them to produce more fruit next year and making sure you top dress with some good quality organic matter now I have some canes that are really tall I mean there must be they've grown and they're new growth and they must be you know about eight feet tall can I cut those off now I wouldn't cut them right to ground level if they're no no they're just sort this, of to yeah. say five oh foot. yeah bring it Sure, bring them right down to about three feet tall. Bring them okay. down where it's manageable. Yes, yes. Okay. Because you know what right. they, they do, you. why they do that. They, once they get up eight feet tall, then you get a big wind or post-winter, those canes will bend down and they'll yes. root. And before you know it, your raspberry patch is inaccessible because it's just a bramble, a mess of bramble. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling. Okay, yeah, thanks for that, Judy. And uh, yeah, so that it would have answered Elaine's question as well. Who? Yeah, uh, hopefully was... she's listening. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to give those numbers out again because we have uh, we have lots of room open on the lines. Uh, number in Toronto: four one six three six zero zero seven four zero. Or the toll-free number for anywhere else outside of Toronto in the province of Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Now, Charlie, I have uh, another email that came in from uh, from June uh, recently, and her question is very, very straightforward. How do you get rid of clover and lawn? in your lawn that was just that was just it there was no it was just just how do you do that and, uh, and this is something that comes up quite often i think i think so and of course my my question to that question is why would you want to get rid of clover in your lawn but i get it lots of people want that perfect golf course 
you know, putting green look to their lawns, which can be very tough to achieve unless you've got a really small lawn and it's your full-time job to keep it green and beautiful and, and tidy and weed-free. Most people consider clover a weed. I personally am a pretty big fan of clover. I actually planted clover here in at my place. Uh, just simple white, it's called white Dutch clover. And, um, and I planted it because it is a nitrogen fixer. It feed, it fertilizes itself. It stays green during a drought. Uh, it looks great from a distance. Of course, it's not a turf grass, but it flowers. Again, it's a pollinator supporting plant. It does a lot of great things. Um, now, I did. It's interesting though that that um, uh, I did receive. Yeah. So this is um, an email that I got actually last spring from one of our listeners named Clyde Singh. And he said he found this on the internet and he found it interesting. And it's exactly on the subject of clover. So let me just read you what it was is on the internet sent and shared with us by Clyde. And Clyde says, or the email says, it's often the lack of nitrogen that damages the lawn and promotes the emergence of clover. The application of such a fertilizer therefore eliminates this weed. Well, that's not really true. If you uh, if you fertilize your lawn consistently, it won't necessarily eliminate the weed, but it will. What it will do is it will feed and support the turf grasses and keep them thick and dense and healthy so that clover can't get established. So it's not like fertilizer kills clover. It's just that fertilizer supports turf grass and and obviously keeps things like clover and dandelions and everything out of your lawn. So choose the type of fertilizer to use based on the condition of the clover in your lawn. Again, I'm reading from the internet. If there are only small spaces covered by clover, choose an organic fertilizer. If not, apply a quick-release fertilizer to kill the weed immediately, which it won't do. Spray the fertilizer directly on the clover once a month, preferably in the spring or according to the directions on the product label. Okay, so that's kind of silly. The, it Fertilizer won't kill clover, but that is a good point. If you only have small areas of clover, dig it out. When the ground is moist, it's very easy with a long, sharp, like a long, strong screwdriver or a good weeding tool to pull your clover. Um, and and the difference between slow-release turf, turf fertilizer and a quick slow-release and quick-release fertilizer is the difference between an organic-based fertilizer versus a synthetic fertilizer. So the synthetic fertilizer, and it'll say right on the bag whether it has slow-release fertilizer in the bag or not. Slow-release is great because it feeds over a period of time rather than a big bang of food quickly. Uh, we would Right now would not be necessarily the optimal time to fertilize unless, of course, you're getting lots of rain at your place and then you can fertilize here at it's way too dry, but we will be putting fall fertilizer on as autumn uh, starts to happen. So there you go. Getting rid of clover. Keep your keep your turf happy, healthy, well cared for, well fertilized, and you'll have fewer problems with clover and any weeds at all. And get down on your hands and knees and start digging if you want to really get rid of any of your weeds. Fabulous. Okay, let's go to Judy in Oakville. She's on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show. Judy, what do you got for Charlie? Hi, good morning. A pleasure to meet you. Um, Charlie, I wondered what your thoughts and opinion were on the Bokashi system of composting. Bokashi? Bokashi. B-O-K-A-S-H-I. It was new to me, too. 
Um, oh. It's from Japan, and uh-huh. instead of composting by just letting everything decay, you put your kitchen scraps in this little container, and then you make layers uh, with a brand that they supply, and then you dig that into your soil. And they say that it retains all of the natural enzymes and the microbes. Um, and I just wondered if you'd heard of it, what you thought of it. <clears throat> Uh, no, you know what? I haven't heard of it, but I'm looking very, very quickly. <clears throat> all right, so it's all about composting using fermentation. Yes, exactly. Okay, um, right. So, for, yeah, fermentation is is something that, well, think about it. We wouldn't have beer if we didn't have, you know, yeah. there would be no beer if we yeah. didn't ferment things. Um, uh, nor would we have, you know, there's a lot of things we ferment as part of our food. It's one of the ways of preserving food. So I guess what this is suggesting is that by fermenting, we end up not annihilating some of the microorganisms, which could get baked with, with traditional composting, because traditional composting relies on heat and bacterial uh, um, activity, which creates heat. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what this is all about. I'd have to look more closely. I would just say it's um, fermented organic, developed in the 1980s, <clears throat> layering, like you said, an inoculant in a special bucket. <clears throat> so the inoculant is either wheat germ, wheat bran, or sawdust combined with molasses and affect on microorganisms. Well, you know what? I- I'm not opposed to any any kind of composting if it works. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? So, so I just um, if you knew if yeah, it worked so, or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's saying here that it's, got, it's interesting, uh, pros and cons. Mm-hmm. The material produced is a fermented product, not a traditional compost, that can be surface applied to a garden as a mulch. It, this Bokashi compost must either be buried in trenches in the garden or added to a traditional compost heap for further breakdown Uh, and this process requires a special airtight bucket with the ability to drain off the liquid that is produced you know what um sounds like it sounds like extra work so i mean i'm again i'm not a big fan of ever having to do extra work Mm -hmm. but i guess it um it does oh i see but it does allow you to use things like dairies and meat scraps so that's good because I mean we are pretty spoiled now that we all have the organic pickup at our ends of our driveways it used to be that all the meat products and the dairy products any of the salad dressings all that went out to the landfill Uh but now we're able to send that off to an organic um, location usually in our municipality so yeah I mean I'd have to read a little bit more about it and it does sound like that's a a positive but uh like i say i'm a huge fan of any composting so i'd say go for it let us are you going to try it was that your plan yes i bought the system um Mm -hmm. and i've tried it i've dug one bucket full into i have a community garden plot and you can know that's just clay so i've dug one bucket in there and uh, made a layer and i'm hoping that it will now decompose so i can plant my garlic in that area ah, good but, all right well let us know i want to, this yeah. is homework for you you yeah. you must call us back uh, in a month or so and let us know how the garlic planting goes okay uh, i will do that <laughs> <laughs> great no i'd love to hear and uh, and of course it's october generally about the second or third week of october is when we plant our garlic yeah. so i'll be expecting a call from you in eight weeks <laughs> okay i'll put it on my calendar <laughs> okay. Yeah, thanks, Judy. Thank uh, that's you. A- Have a great day. 
interesting. Me too. Usually, yeah, very intriguing. Uh, there are, you know, you, you hear about different types of composting that come up over the years. I think one of the schools that our kids went to uh, tried worm composting for a while. Oh, there. yeah, vermicomposting. Yeah, yeah vermicomposting. that's for inside. Yeah, doing that. Mm-hmm. You do that right in your kitchen year yeah. round. Yeah, or yeah, a classroom. It's great for in the classroom. Yeah, I think that's where they did it was in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to go to our next break now, but we will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yeah, we're back with much more here on The Garden Show. And uh, I have Michael on the line, who is uh, calling from Toronto. Welcome to The Garden Show, Michael. Uh, Good morning, uh, Dean and Charlie. Uh, uh, Charlie, I have a question. Uh, I'm kind of embarrassed to ask it. I think I should know better, but it's about pruning deciduous bushes. But I'm talking about ones that would be not particularly um, planted for flowering, but more uh, green growth. So we're talking about like burning bush, euonymus, and so on. Is it appropriate to prune it now or into the fall, or should you refrain and just do it like up to like June, July, when that big thrush of growth normally comes on? Or it matures. Yeah, good question. The um, it kind of depends what you're pruning for. If you're pruning to to encourage a good form on the plants or size, because they're getting you know out of control large, then remember if you do your pruning in the spring, you're going to invigorate more growth. So if it's a size issue uh, because the plants are getting so large, then then pruning in the spring is ultimately just going to have them get larger. <laughs> so what I would do is I would w- prune later in August, just get past this kind of heat wave we're in. And you can prune late August, early September. I wouldn't do a lot of pruning beyond the beginning of September because there will you will stimulate some new growth, not uh, like mm-hmm. you would back in June, but you still will stimulate some at this time of year and you don't want to stimulate too much new growth because again frost can do a lot of damage so that's why you know it's okay to stimulate a little bit that will happen in september and it'll have a chance to harden off before winter so that's what i would probably do remember as well you can always prune out anything that's dead or diseased or damaged at any time of year right Right. Okay, that's great. That's a, that's really good, helpful advice for that. So basically, late August, early September, like, again, when we get out of this heat and possible regrowth period. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, perfect. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for that question, Michael. Appreciate yeah. that. Thanks so much. Very thanks good. And, and certainly, um, I think pruning is on the minds of a great number of people these days. As it should be. Most mm-hmm. people are afraid to prune, so I'm glad when they're thinking about pruning. Gotcha. Okay. We have a couple of first-time callers on the line. First one of those first-time callers is Angela, and she's calling from Kitchener. Welcome to the Garden Show, Angela. Good morning. Thank you for answering the call. And here are your garden wings, my dear. Uh, Welcome to the show. And we have had several monarchs in the area, so thank you for the wings. I have a (laughs) strange question. The city of Kitchener is planting trees. They're called red maples. Unfortunately, the color that is coming up is yellow and green. Apparently, they're lacking iron. Could you please give us a solution? Oh, so these are trees that have already been planted, and now they're looking quite pale? The trees that were in the location before are dead. 
They I have see. planted apparently red maples. Right. But as these red maples grow, they're not red. They're yellow and green, apparently lacking iron. Uh, okay, so Angela, you're the couple of reasons why you might be seeing yellow. First of all, an, a red maple has green leaves during the growing season, but turns red or should turn red in the autumn as part of a fall color. So, uh, so don't expect them to be red at any time of year except the end of the season. Red maples have um, this little stem that attaches the leaf to the branch is red. So you'll know it's a red maple if you can see that. As well in the spring when the flowers are on the tree, which are quite insignificant small flowers, but nevertheless they are there in the spring, they are red as well. So those are identifying factors with red maples. If they're looking yellow uh, and green right now, green is fine. Yellow could be happening from lack of, it could be well, two reasons, like you said, could be lack of of, um, of actual nitrogen is what causes chlorosis in leaves. So the leaves turn yellow when the there's insufficient nitrogen available to the plant. So so fertilizer is an option. However, newly planted trees should have gone into a good quality soil. If they, they went into a good quality soil, there should have been plenty of accessible nitrogen in that soil. If they went into really poor soil, you know, poor nutrient-wise, but also perhaps, you know, clay soil, then top dressing with organic matter or putting organic matter and mulch around the tree stems would be great, not touching the bark, but over the surface of the soil. That will help uh, with water retention and that will help with nutrient uh, availability. I have trees on my property right now that are turning yellow because they're so stressed from lack of water. They are going into an early autumn. So the leaves are starting to turn yellow. Uh, I can see across the street some maples that are turning orange because the, the trees are very unhappy with the lack of water and they are saving themselves by saying forget this summer i'm done with this summer i'll see you next year and they are getting ready for winter now and that's what they do when they when they're lacking sufficient moisture these are trees that have been there for uh, 12 to 15 mm -hmm. years and they are oh, yeah. dwarf so thank you for your ideas we will try it thanks for calling okay yeah thanks angela Okay, we're going to uh, Jerry in Niagara, another first-time caller. Welcome to the Garden Show, Jerry. Good morning to both of you. Morning. I have a question. Morning. I have your morning, garden wings Jerry. here. Oh, there's the wings. Thank <laughs> Welcome you. Welcome to the show. I have a question in regards to, I have a honeylind tree in my front yard, and it's, it's just over two and a half years old, but um, I just have a minor annoyance. What happens? because the tree is still growing, obviously, but I, I get these small shoots going around the trunk of the tree all the time, and I'm yeah. constantly pruning them off, because I, ha I have yeah. to trim around with the grass and what have you, and I just wondered if there's any way to stop that or deter those shoots from growing. Um, okay, so is it a honey locust that you've got growing? No, it's a honey lin. Honey lin. Yep. That's, that's I've never heard of it. called it because we we lost all our trees in the neighborhood because of the the ash borer, right? And they've replaced uh, all these native trees. So I have a honey okay. Uh, so the shoots are coming from below ground at the base of the trunk of the tree. Correct, Charlie. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So those are what we call suckers. Those are little little stems growing off the root. Yeah. And. 
just so you know, getting out your pruners or using definitely never use your whippersnapper, right? Because no, you don't want to no. destroy, you don't want to damage the bark. But right. using your pruners to cut those off will give you twice as many suckers. So yeah, that's why <laughs> you cut off one, you get two. You cut off two, you get four, and it increases exponentially. Instead of using your pruners, get out a little trowel, get down on your hands and knees, move the soil away from the trunk, and follow the stem down to where it's growing off the root so that might you might have to dig down an inch or two it's usually not too far move all the soil aside and then instead of using pruners break the stem off the root so the way you break it is you basically use your thumb and you push that stem um away from the root and it should break off and when you do that it will not grow back oh okay Okay. It's one of the few times we break a plant uh, as opposed to cutting it nice and cleanly. Yeah, I'm really surprised. And <laughs> when we do that, we can stop the sucker growth. Okay, great. Okay. okay. Thanks, yeah. for for Thanks, for that. Thanks for that question, Jerry. That is uh, some math that I was unaware of, Charlie, I have to tell uh, you. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's it, Well, you see it, you know, when you trim, if you ever grow uh, basil or colia, some of the plants that we pinch the top, and when we pinch the top, we get lots of side shoots. So it's it's the same kind of principle that when we, when we take the top off those suckers, we just get lots of side shoots and lots more growth. Gotcha. Okay, I uh, have to take our next break, but we will be right back with much more right here on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, this is The Garden Show. We're in our home stretch, and we have some more callers on the line. Uh, first one up is uh, Tony in St. Kitts. Welcome to The Garden Show, Tony. Thank you very much. Morning. Hello. What do you got there for Charlie, Tony? I have a weed problem. Uh, in the spring, we see our... Oh, I think maybe we're having trouble on the line with Tony. Tony. Maybe. Oh, we lost Tony. Spring, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, Tony, you could always email me if you want, and we could bring this up next week off the top of the show if you like. My email address is c dot dobbin d o b b i n at mzmedia dot com. Um, yes, weed problems and lawn. That's all I got. Okay, let's go to uh, Mary in Toronto. Welcome to the Garden Show, Mary. Good morning to you both. Uh, I have a question regarding climbing roses. I think they're both the same. Uh, I dug them up from a friend of mine who passed away. Um, one of them was at the side of her driveway, lots of sun. So I, they both get a fair amount of sun. And about the first five years or so, their little red uh, roses, they were blooming. And this year and last year, they just went wild. But the one I planted in the back, it and, and I cut them back because the fronds were like, or whatever you call them, Kings. were everywhere. And I didn't have, you know, like she had on one on the driveway. Long story short, it came up in the middle of the one at the back with tiny white flowers, but nothing with the red ones. And the one in the garden, that full sun, 
I haven't had flowers for two years. And my niece, she grows a lot of roses, has old climbers. She said you never cut back the branches or whatever. But they're everywhere. So this year, I don't know what to do. (coughs) Okay, good question. I think what's happened, because remember, climbing roses are rarely, if ever, growing on their own roots. Instead, they have been budded or grafted. The, the chosen rose, like the red roses, I mean, there's, they're usually the best, you know, imperial blaze. There's just some classic red climbers. They are budded or grafted onto a different rose root. And the rose that they usually are grafted onto is called Rosa multiflora. <clears throat> Rosa multiflora is a rose, so there's a rose growing on a rose. The Rosa multiflora has tiny, tiny little red flowers, uh, red and white. White center, red flowers, but very small, five petals only. Not 10, not 15, not 300 petals like so many of the roses we love, just five petals. If you've transplanted a rose and it's, it's growing like crazy, but the flowers are super tiny, simple rose flowers, five petals only, it's likely that your your rootstock is growing and your chosen rose has no, has failed to thrive and has perhaps died. And what's left is the root growing like, like crazy, which is typically a very, very vigorous wild type rose. Um, so that would be my first thought. If you're confident, I mean, the, the, the one you said hasn't even bloomed for two years. So the one that hasn't bloomed for two years, <clears throat> just make sure it's safe from harm, cars, people, that sort of thing. You said it's by the driveway. You know, make no, sure it's no. not catching. Uh, my neighbor had it growing by the driveway. Mine is in, oh. both of mine are in a garden. Okay, so yeah, as long as they're safe and the wind isn't going to cause no. damage in the winter, let them be. Obviously, we have to tie up climbing roses. They don't hold on by themselves. And uh, fertilize in the spring, cut but out all the I dead wood in the back? spring. My niece says if you cut them back, they won't flower. Right, well, you, you do, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> yes, they will. It just depends how much you cut them back. So we always cut back the dead. I personally am a very big fan of, well, cutting down so that you can invigorate all that growth that happens in the spring. The other thing we do with climbing roses is we bend, the canes are, say they're eight feet tall, we bend them into the horizontal, so they're not vertical, but horizontal, bend them horizontal, tie them horizontally, and you'll get tons of flowers all along the cane. At each node, you will get flowers instead of allowing the plants to grow very, very tall and uh, and sort of out of control, way up with the flowers up on the tips. Because you, who wants flowers ten feet well, high? You want flowers the fence, where you can a, see a them. newer rose. It's more than eight feet. It's got to be about mm-hmm. twenty, and it doesn't right. have anywhere to go anymore. I can't right. reach them. That's why no. I wonder: can I cut those back? Sure, I would. Like, but who wants 20-foot-tall roses? Back and I mean, unless you've got an arch. Sometimes people will grow an them arch. over an I arbor. I trellis. They still grow like mad. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you know, you, you are the master of your roses. Don't don't let them take over. Oh. So you prune them to the shape you want them to be. Tie them so they're safe. Fertilize with the rose food because they are what we call heavy okay. feeders. Okay. Uh, and spring or summer. Cut when? In the spring. Okay. That's okay. what I need to know. All right. Yeah. Thank Do you whatever so you want in the spring, what before the leaves emerge. Oh, good. That's even better. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, you can see Thank what you you're so doing. Thank you very much. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks yeah. For thanks for your call. Okay. So, uh, wow. Here we wow. are at the end of another hour. You mentioned chipmunks. Do you think that chipmunks are eating your tomatoes? I know. It's so funny. I My neighbor is convinced that chipmunks are eating her tomatoes. And I went, I think it's raccoons. She said, oh, maybe it's raccoons. Anyway, I did look it up on the internet. So in case anybody's interested, do chipmunks eat tomatoes? Apparently, yes, chipmunks do. They are real little tomato eaters. So maybe that's who Elliot should be chasing around my my yard, our yard, or the chipmunks instead of the raccoons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're, we don't like that at all. But a good suggestion is coffee grounds around the tomato plants. Uh, will not only fertilize, but will also deter the chipmunks. So I think mm. that's a good idea. Nice. I still think that the, uh, the you know the Charlie Dobbin Garden Show slingshot is a good idea too. So. <laughs> we we got to get production going on that. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dean. Thank you. Thank you, Carlos. Couldn't do any of this without you guys, and not to mention all the great callers this week. So thanks to our callers. Keep the email coming, and I'll see you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.